If you've got your Bible, then it's a good thing to read in your own scripture, but let's, it's here for all of us. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Next one. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes when you've got um, a little passage like that, and often in, in Paul's writings, when you look at it on the page, it's actually quite dense. And sometimes just to sort of break it up a little bit, it gives you a sense of Paul's sort of thought patterns as he's going on. And um, in a sense, that's what he's doing there. He's saying, when we pray for you, we pray that God will give you wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, in order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord. You might please him, that you might bear fruit, that you'll grow in knowledge, that you'll be strengthened with all power, that you'll have great endurance and patience, and that you'll be able to joyfully give thanks to the Father. And then he starts by, and then he ends that little passage because he says, because you've been rescued. You've been rescued. Something happened to you. And you're living in a new dimension. You're living in a new kingdom. So the question I had, and I'd love it if some of you would be ready to just talk briefly about this. Why did you become a follower of Jesus? What happened? And how did things change? Um. I've been a Christian 31 years now, and um, I became a Christian because, purely and simply, um, I've been searching for a long time for a meaning, and I've been involved with a small cult, and that didn't satisfy. Then I looked at Buddhism, and that didn't satisfy. And then a, a, a family of Christians moved into the area, and had some influence on me and I just thought quite simply what have I got to lose it was as simple as that and so I made a commitment and what happened well no flashing lights or anything like that I, I received the gift of tongues when I'd been a Christian four months but my life began to change I'd suffered from depression uh, well I have for most of my life and God's uh, I won't say dealt with that, it still recurs from time to time, but I began to realise that I had found what I was looking for. And it's just a journey. Some days, most days, it's fantastic. Without it necessarily being a mountaintop experience, it's fantastic to know that you are loved, that you are forgiven, 
some days the walk becomes difficult and that's to be expected but the thing is you are to grow in trust your faith increases god is always doing something never think that nothing's happening god is always doing something if you like behind the scenes and it's brilliant brilliant thank you yeah um i became a christian um i didn't really think about it and i've been going through a very difficult period in my life just through circumstances and i felt so hollow and lost and lonely um with no direction um, i got up each morning into um, a day of chaos i felt unloved and unworthy um, and soon after that, um, I met Tom. I had already known Tom for a few years. And one day he was sat silently in the living room at home and I was quite agitated. And Tom was very peaceful. And I said to him, Tom, how come you're so peaceful? And he said something like, um, I believe in God and I believe that Christ is my saviour. Um, which to a non-Christian sounds like, I was like, no. <laughs> And then he invited me on the Alpha course, mm -hmm. which I came on. I told Mary at the time that I wasn't coming to church. I was just doing the Alpha course. And Mary, being Mary, when I said, I'm not coming to church, Mary, she went, you will. <laughs> In that kind of threatening way she used to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, kind of. And so I did come to church. And at first, I still had a childlike faith that I believed that God wasn't a father in heaven who was more like Father Christmas to me, that if I behaved in the right way, that he would give me the, all these gifts. And when he didn't, I kind of, you know, it was like, I'm not going to church again. And I still have that recently, you know. Um, I, I know where those lies come from today. Mm. Mm. You know, mm. I've spoken to a couple of people on the phone this week that helped me with that. Um, now, I'm understanding the words of the Bible I've been reading it for years, and it's only just recently that those words, um, I feel like I'm living them and breathing them and devouring them. Brilliant. Um, I feel alive inside. I don't feel worthless. And uh, I won't go on too long, but I'd just like to share something that happened on the 23rd of January this year. Um, my daughter went into labour, and she called for a mum. And um, I'd already been there at the birth of my grandchild, Beatrix, three years previously. And so um, I was kind of like, oh, again, I'm needed as a mother. Um, and I prayed that morning because if I go out without having a word with God, I tend to go out with the chaos of last night, last night's dreams. And I prayed and I said, please, God, direct me thinking. Please, Lord, direct the communications and the words that come out of my mouth. And I said, and please, Lord, direct my feet. And I looked at my hands and I, my first thought was, they've got very old of reason. But I said, please use these hands, Lord. Mm. And um, by 10 to 5 that afternoon, after quite a lot of up and down to hospital, um, my own daughter, Melissa, gave birth. And I was actually there to deliver that child. I'm not a trained midwife. I didn't know what I was doing, but there was no fear because I prayed. I didn't realise it could be so exhausting to pray. And I rubbed her back and I made her cups of tea. And um, a partner, Paul, was there and he actually dropped her because she slipped out of his hands. Um, she was like a slippery little eel. And uh, I, I caught her. And underneath my hands, there was God's hands. 
Lovely. And from somebody that was worthless today. So if anybody's come to church like I did and thought, maybe I'm not in the right place, you know, just stick with it and just keep coming. And God bless everybody and thank you. One more, just one more. Uh, hi. Um, well, I'm usually, I've got a fear of public speaking, so, like, please don't all stare at me at once. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I used to come to this church when I was very, very little, like uh, Pastor Neil, and um, some of you may remember me. And, um, yeah, I was born into a Christian family, um, went to a Christian Catholic boarding school, and uh, for best part of about 10 years, I kind of lost my way. So I, stuff happened with my parents, they kind of divorced. And then um, literally life changed completely. Like I became completely, I don't know, so whatever could have gone wrong at that time went wrong. And um, yeah, so over the past few months, I believe that um, I have to go back to the drawing board. And the only thing that I knew was um, the church. And so I came back like about four weeks ago, saw Pastor Neil, actually he was at a wedding. So um, I, I kind of spoke to yourself, I believe, sorry, I'm bad with names as well. <laughs> this, is, this is Natalie. Natalie, okay. This is Hillary. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so um, since coming back to the church, like I can gradually see things changing. And uh, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for uh, all your fellowship and uh, all the support that everyone gives me. So, yeah, that's it, really. <laughs> Paul, can you take me back one slide? He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. When, when Paul talks about sin, sometimes he talks about it as, in that kind of sense, the forgiveness of sins. And when we listen to that word sin, often it's like the stuff we've done wrong. But I think behind Paul's theology is this idea that sin becomes like a, a captor. He's the one who holds you. He's the one that has dominion over you, the dominion of darkness. Push me on two slides for me, Paul, will you? And I'll tell that's it. Now, I don't know if you can make out what's going on here. You wouldn't know from the picture. But all these guys here are, have been captured by these guys in the army uniforms uh, and the trucks. This is in Libya. And all these men are slaves. They've been captured by an alternative army, and they've been enslaved. And here they are, just sitting there, enslaved. No longer their own people, but actually belonging to somebody else. No longer able to make their own decisions, but actually overseen by a dominion. A dominion of darkness. It's kind of interesting listening to the stories, and... Had we had time, and we could have listened to more and more, and in the weeks to come, I want us to listen more and more to one another's stories. It's interesting, wasn't it, listening to Leslie, who talks about um, 
being in the same room as Tom when Tom is so calm. Now, we know Tom. Tom is just like calm. He's brilliant, isn't he? Tom's like one of these rocks. And then Leslie's head is all over. Not now. I don't mean every time. <laughs> that day. That day. And, Tom go, and Leslie goes, how can you be so calm? And he, he kind of, and I'm putting words in his mouth, but he said, I believe in God, and I believe Jesus is my saviour. One who saved me. And for Leslie, that becomes quite compelling. Because actually, from being in a chaos, it's like someone suggests there's hope. Or for Annie, talking about this idea of, you know, I've tried this little cult, I've tried Buddhism, I'm desperately searching for something, but I'm, I, I just can't find anything. Oh, Hillary, just lost my way. So the problem is not actually, <coughs> primarily, that we've done lots of little things that are wrong. The problem is actually that sin holds us. Now, the problem when we use that kind of language of sin is that most of us don't like to think of ourselves as not being a decent person. But actually, it's sin as a captor. It's the dominion of darkness. It's something holds us, and we can't get free. And then someone says, actually, there's a way out of this. One has come. And in this picture, if you push us on to the next one, Paul. Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, as opposed to the projector Paul. <laughs> the Apostle Paul. <laughs> too many Pauls. The Apostle Paul uses a picture like this and says to the church in Colossae, you've been rescued. You've been rescued. That's the first thing. Someone has come in and has absolutely rescued you. Secondly, you have been redeemed. Sin no longer owns you. Something's been broken. And the redemption is through the cross. And you've been brought into a new kingdom. You've been brought in and you are no longer in captivity. Now, I know that those of us who have been Christians for a long time know this, but actually every now and again it's worthwhile reminding you of who you are. And that's why when we sang the, I guess it's a hymn really, we sang this morning, that new song that you introduced for us, and then when you started to talk about your, um, your reflections on Colossians 2, about this freedom that Christ has brought us into, I'm standing there going, yeah, that's good. I'm glad them two have got it. Um, because that's what we're talking about. The stuff you've just sung and the thing that Natalie came and talked about is actually what Paul's done here. He said, you were once sitting, as it were, with these guys and sin held you. But Jesus came and said, there's freedom for you now. There's freedom for you now. Now, the problem is that if you, otherwise, if you're not sure about that, if you don't get that sorted out, then every little sin that you will commit, you think, does that mean God hasn't, doesn't like me anymore? Have I blown it? And Paul's, Paul would want to say to you, no, because actually the sin is the one who's the captor, the one who's the guard. You're 
accepted through Christ. Not perfect, but accepted through Christ for a new life. And in a sense, what I want to do this morning is really, really simple. It won't take very long. Move us on to the next one, if you could. So what? What now? Well, although Paul ended that little section with that verse, actually, the rest of the verses now are, well, how do you live? Oh, there. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, he's going to go on to talk about, actually, how do you live for God? But he starts by saying, we want to pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will so you'll know what God wants of you through the wisdom and the understanding. So what might we expect God to do for us? Well, the first thing is, I don't think the way God works with us, I don't think what's normal is that every day you wake up and you go, good morning, Lord, and the Lord downloads into your mind everything you've got to do for him. And, you know, and it's easy to caricature it, but, but some Christians almost get paralyzed because I really want to make sure I'm going to be okay with God. Should I wear the blue shirt or the red shirt? What do you think? But actually what Paul suggests is that what the Spirit will do, he will fill you with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom. Through wisdom. And what's this wisdom? Wisdom is the art of living. It's the skill of living. Wisdom in the, in the Old Testament is what you get in Proverbs or what you get in Job, what you get in Ecclesiastes. It's kind of like, how do you live this life out? And what the Spirit will do in you and I, we will grow in wisdom. Now, for some of us, you would call that common sense. Okay? That's how you would talk about it amongst yourselves. You'd say, oh, it's just common sense. When people say, how do you know what to do in that situation? Oh, it's just common sense. But actually, I think Paul's got this idea that it's it's not just common sense. Uh, Common sense isn't actually all that common sometimes. It's not just common sense. It's this wisdom that comes from God. And as you grow, and this is why, as well as praying... You do need to read the Bible because you'll grow in wisdom as you wrestle with the Bible. And your roots will go deep. And you'll work out, how do I deal with my kids? How do I deal with my work? How do I deal with the grandkids? How do I deal with these relationship issues? And it's the wisdom that you need for that. And the understanding the Spirit gives. Next slide. So we go back. So that you may live a life worthy. So what's the plan? Well, that you are going to do these things. That you're going to live a life worthy of the Lord. That you're going to bear good fruit. That you're going to grow in the knowledge of God. That you're going to be strengthened. And that you're going to be able to joyfully give thanks. We could take ages over each of those. I have no intention of doing that. Except to say this. When those guys, that picture you had of the guys who were sitting in rows. When they are released. They are released to go and serve and to live in a new way wherever. And when you ask, where does this life of the kingdom get lived out? Next slide. I love this cartoon. Where is the church? Well, this time tomorrow, it's all of these places. It's you. You've got the burglar up here trying to get in the window. 
(laughs) (laughs) This is where the church is. This is why God redeemed you. This is why God set you free. Not for this, but for that. That you go as the agents of the kingdom. You know that at the moment, if you're part of our church, we are thinking through, you know, like our own plans, our own future. What does God want for us at this time? What does us being this church at this time give us the opportunity to do? But you know the danger is, people like me who... And, and Natalie and Ian, we have responsibility for a church. But the problem is that we can only end up thinking about us as a gathered church. There's a really good question asked yesterday, uh, last week. What's, and it was asked of me, it was, well, what's the big plan for the church? Do you know what the big plan for the church is? That. That's the big plan for the church. That when we gather... You're reminded who you are. We pray for one another. And that's the plan. To the next slide. That you might bear fruit in every good work. I wonder what fruitfulness would look like for you. In the original garden... Adam and Eve were created and they were blessed and they were told to multiply and be fruitful. What does it look like for those of you that are some of the primary carers for your grandchildren or your own children? What does fruitfulness look like there? What does it look like for you that are working? What does fruitfulness look like? You know, each day you kind of, you, you get up, you do your business, do, do, <laughs> you do your work, and <laughs> you go about your business, you do the stuff that's in front of you. And if you're not careful, then some days it's like, what was all that about? What's all that about? But you're called to bear good fruit. And as it's off, as you offer your situation to God, with all the limitations of your situation, then God says, okay, I, I see what you offer me. Let me be used. Now, the, the, the truth is, there's very few times in life when you're in exactly the perfect spot. There's very few times in life when you're in the perfect spot. Either... You're at work and work's really difficult because of other people around you or the system you're in or your health's not what you want or the situation cramps you somehow. You're never in life. I don't think we're ever in the sort of everything's brilliant moment. Very rarely. If it is, enjoy that moment because tomorrow's coming. (laughs) Don't want to be sort of negative, but... (laughs) So you don't wait for the perfect day to bear fruit. You bear fruit on the day you've got. Ian, I've not asked you to do this beforehand, but I wonder if you'd just come and play for us something. Where you are while Ian's playing, 
I just want you to, for yourself, to offer up the work of your hands. Whatever it is you're doing. You're not in the perfect place, but you have responsibilities. Your health isn't always brilliant, but God never stops using you. There's always a bit of a struggle, but that doesn't mean to say you're in the wrong place. But the promise is that you'll bear fruit there. Now, what does fruit look like for you? It might be something about relationships. It might be something about what you produce. It might be about the life that other people lead because of you. What does fruitfulness look like for you? Paul says, I'm praying that you will know that. And so why don't we just take a moment where we pause and just for our own lives say, Lord, please, may I bear fruit there. pray for those people who are in work situations and it's just hard and sometimes really frustrating. I pray that we will bear fruit with our responsibilities there. Lord, the things that we offer, the way we work, the things we do, Lord, as we offer them to you as part of our worship, Lord, I pray that it will have an effect beyond just doing the tick box of what our job description says we ought to do. Lord, we pray that we'll bear fruit for you in those work settings. Lord, we pray for those of us who have other people who are dependent upon us. And we invest in the lives of other people. Lord, we pray that because of the investment that we give to other people, the people we love, the people we're committed to. Lord, I pray for fruitfulness in all of that work. We pray for our families. We pray for our friendships. We pray, Lord, that people will thrive because of the things that we can offer you. Lord, may may that work bear fruit, we pray. Lord, we offer you the work of our hands. May we bear fruit in every good work, we pray. In the name of Jesus. There's two other things that he says. If you can just move us on, Paul. Paul promises that what God wants for you is that you will know him better. And that you'll keep going. 
and you'll keep going joyfully. In other words, don't grit your teeth. But that you might know the one who called you. And that you actually might be joyful. Your life matters. It matters because once upon a time, we were held captive by sin. And Christ paid the redemption that you might be freed. And you can enjoy that. But actually, your life matters not just to enjoy it, but your life matters actually because God wants to use you in the places you're already in. To bear fruit. To know God. To keep going. To joyfully give thanks. So, final slide. What's the purpose of the church? It's that we gather in order that we be scattered. That's what our church is about. The gathering is not the be-all and end-all. The gathering is the moment where we send one another back out to bear fruit. And sometimes it can be tempting for some people to make church the be-all and end-all because it can seem like a much safer place and a much less complicated place than the place we have to go and spend our time. No, no, no. You're sent in the name of Jesus, the one who bought you back, the one who commissioned you, the one who will enable you to bear fruit, the fruit that will last. In the name of Jesus, may it be so. Amen.